This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon to you. We're used to being here with you on a Saturday, but because of football, we're here on a Sunday. I'm here with Mary Lucas, of course, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? I can't believe it's already football season. I mean, it, I'm, I'm glad we're getting to the fall you know, or fake fall, maybe North Carolina fake fall, but uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, fake fall will be just around the corner, but uh, I'm yeah. so excited football season. This yes. year. It's, it's, it's been a while, but uh, we've got some very important things to get to. We've got a wonderful show lined up, and to kick things off, we're going to be discussing veteran aid and attendance, and this is a program that uh, offers a, a pretty cool benefit, but it can be some very difficult waters to navigate. That's why we're very pleased to welcome onto the show David Cole. David is a benefit advisor with the Senior Veterans Council and also a privately accredited VA claims agent. Hey, David, thanks for coming on the show with us today. You bet. Yeah, aid and attendance is something that um, is very important to my family and our caregiving journey, and it's something we didn't really know about, actually, until my grandfather and my grandmother moved into um, an independent living facility, and at the time, they were having lunch or dinner with somebody in the facility, and it was it was brought up at dinner, and that my grandpa, who loves to talk, uh, was like, I'm a Navy vet, and he goes on his little you know conversation with this gentleman, and the gentleman who was also a resident in the facility was like, you know, about in attendance, right? And we had no idea. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like it's a very um, underutilized benefit that uh, people don't know about. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. So, David, maybe start out by telling us what is aid and attendance pension? Well, to your point, it's the uh, what the VA itself calls the least known, uh, most uh, underutilized benefit the VA has. Um, for to honor our veterans. They don't certainly run ads about it. They don't have billboards up. But it's actually been around since the founding of our country. I have on my wall a certificate to my great-great-great-great-grandmother, who was the widow of a veteran of the War of 1812, and she got $4 a month aid in attendance. The benefit has been around since the founding of the country, and uh, the, the name is that there is no VA aid and attendance benefit. It's pension with an aid and attendance writer. Uh, and I was saying the name pension is confusing because I think your grandfather would have, would say, well, I didn't retire from the Navy. Why would I get a pension? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, 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 the reason they call it pension <clears throat> or aid and attendance goes back to kind of the principles and values we have for how we treat our veterans. What we say is that like your grandfather, if you're a veteran who served during a wartime period, sounds like he may have been like World War II, uh, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to have been shot at or been in combat, but you served somewhere in the world during this specified wartime period. You, you, you did your part. They don't pay much today. They certainly didn't pay anything back then. But he did it, got out, went on with his life. Uh, and now, as you described years later, uh, he now needs help, and that's why he was in a assisted living or a, a protective environment. 
and having to pay all of his money out to get that. The country says, the VA says, well, you were there when uh, we needed you years ago, and now look, you need help. And so there's this award called pension uh, to help pay for your care. Uh, that's the root of it, and that's what aid in attendance is. It's pension with an aid in attendance rider for veterans who served during a qualifying wartime period. That's very good. And so maybe you could dive in a little bit deeper here on wartime service or wartime period. How exactly is that defined and who is actually eligible for this benefit? Well, they are exactly defined, as you just said. And it, uh, the, the basic wartime periods are World War II, which would have been from Pearl Harbor to actually the uh, last day of 1946, even though the war ended in 45, mm-hmm. uh, during that occupation period, they extended the eligibility to December 31st of 46. So that's the second one would be Korea, which as far as wartime periods go is, is short. It goes from uh, a June of uh, 27th from 1950 through January 31st of 55. Vietnam has two parts to it. Um, if you were actually inside the country of Vietnam, it would have started in February of 61 uh, and go through 75. Uh, if you didn't serve inside the country of Vietnam, but were stateside or somewhere else, then the wartime period is from uh, August uh, of 1964 through May of 75. Again, you don't have to have been in the country. And then most recently, we've got the Gulf War, which started in August of 1990 and actually extends to, to today. Um, and, and, and to the word specific, I have people that we deal with that will call up and, you know, they, they got out right before the war started or they enlisted right after a wartime period ended, even if it's by one day. Yes, you served. Yes, you did all that. But you were not in that war. You were not on active duty during that wartime period. The reserves doesn't count. National Guard doesn't count. It has to be active duty with the uniform on um, sometime during 90 days of total service with one day during a wartime period. That's very helpful. So how do you apply for this pension and what documents are needed to be able, I, I, this is the tricky part I know, and it's something that we hear about when talking about this and, and out in the community, but, but how do you apply and what documents are needed? Well, the, the application for the benefit is complex, but uh, to what you just said, the most important part of this a takeaway here would be that you need, if you have any foggy idea or, or ex- expectation, yes, my dad, my mother would qualify, the first step you'd want to do is the easiest step, and that is to submit what is called a statement of intention to file a claim. It doesn't mean you filed a claim, it doesn't mean you're obligated to, but you notify the VA with a form that if it takes you longer than three minutes, something is wrong. Veterans name, date of birth, social, you get it to the VA saying, look, I think I might get this benefit and I think I'll apply. If that statement of intent, and by the way, that form number, that simple form number is on the internet. It's a VA form 21-0966. So you get that off the internet, you fill it out, you get it to the VA. And the rule is that if that form is submitted to the VA, during a particular month, here we are, we're on the last day of the month, for example. If you thought, gee, my mother might get that, or 
you, you go online, you print that out, you get it to the VA. Then the first of the following month, which is September, right tomorrow, becomes the potential claim date. Doesn't mean you're approved, you haven't applied, you don't start getting checks. You'll get a letter from the VA in a few weeks, but doing that little transaction will lock down a claim date. Then you can go into this long process uh, that I'll mention in a second of filing the claim with your local uh, veteran service officer, or even you can even call the VA or American Legion VFW, uh, and you go through the laborious task of filing this, this claim, gathering all the documents you'll need, and once it gets approved, which these days probably would not be till January or February, it'll be retroactive all the way back to September because you did that. Mm. Uh, or, or however you do it. If you do it in September, it's now October. So filing that little statement of intent would be important. And then you can open the books and go online and, and, and uh, start gathering those documents. And I can go through those if you'd like. We will get to that. We are speaking with David Cole, Benefit Advisor with the Senior Veterans Council and also a privately accredited VA claims agent. And we are discussing what is commonly referred to as the Veteran Aid and Attendance Program, the pension program there. And we will, again, get into those forms and the application process with David right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to Transitions Life Care org transitionslifecare.org there's plenty of information and resources available to you there transitionslifecare.org i am jason kong here with mary lucas on the line we have david cole and david is a benefit advisor with the senior veterans council also a privately accredited va claims agent and we're talking about what is commonly referred to as the veteran aid and attendance program and this is a wonderful benefit and before the break david was telling us the process for submitting a form with your intent to submit an application and now david we're going to get into uh, the the various forms here they're involved with applying right so you you wake up and you say gee I, my dad i think he served i think he got out i, I he needs help my mother needs help. I think I'll do this. We'll get out, you know, get that VA form 210966 done. And now in response to that, the VA actually will in about three or four weeks send you a United Postal Service mail letter acknowledging that and giving you the list of what you need to do. The basic list is that you uh, file an application and then in terms of documents and that application is you go through it, you follow the instructions, you call the VA if you have questions, and uh, then the documents, number one, very critical, is that you do have a certified copy of discharge papers, and those are available from the National Archives. With There's online, you can get a Form 180, uh, or you can uh, go to the county courthouse. Sometimes they've been recorded there when the veteran discharge, or you can, if, you're, if it's a widow, 
uh, if it's your mom, mom going for the benefit, you can go to the funeral home. And when dad was buried, they usually might have a copy of it. But you've got to have a certified copy of the discharge papers. That can be a real hang-up, especially today when the National Archives is way behind, taking four to five months to get that form. But at least you filed the statement of intent, so you establish a claim date while you're searching for that discharge papers. Then you'll need, doc, uh, uh, if it's a widow, you'll need a death certificate. doesn't need to be certified. You'll need documentation to show wh you know, what his income is. You've got to document income with Social Security statements, pension statements. You've got to document assets, so you'll print out copies of uh, online bank statements, investment statements. Uh, and then you've got to show, yes, the doctor's statement says he does need care, so there's a VA form for that. Um, and then you'll have to show that he's in a protected environment and, and spending money to get care. You pull all that together, and then you submit the claim and it could take a while. It could be quick, depending on how well it's compiled and how far back. The VA is really kind of upside down right now. But, uh, yes, you file the statement of intent. You complete the VA application. You attach all those documents. You submit it. Uh, there's a toll-free number you can call the VA. Let me give that to you. Uh, that number is 800 so if you have questions, you, you go through the, the prompts and you talk to a live person and they'll guide you. Or again, you're using a, a county veteran service officer, American Legion, uh, VFW person, uh, or a privately accredited agent. Uh, but you get all that together, you submit it, and then you go back and forth, back and forth with correspondence and it ultimately can get approved. It seems like a very... While you make it sound very easy, which is great, which is exactly why we have you on the show to help us navigate this, but it seems like it could be a long process. On average, how long do, does it take for people to get this process? And and also, you mentioned earlier that it, it's retroactive. Then when you finish the process and get payment, is it, it do you get a check for all the months you've missed of this benefit? If it's been done properly, you bet. Uh, if it's eight months later, you if it's a $2,000 a month benefit, $16,000 check will be deposited into the veteran's account. Wow. Uh, so it could be a very large number. Um, so the answer is yes, because you have filed that statement of intent. Mm -hmm. That's very helpful. And, you know, I, I we didn't mention this. I, I don't think we mentioned this earlier in the show, but it, I, when we go back to eligibility, um, you've mentioned a couple times in, in our conversation, widow or or spouse. This is a spouse benefit as well. Is, is it not just the veteran, but their spouse can also benefit? If the veteran is a living veteran, the veteran's alive, the benefit is always directed at the veteran. If the veteran is deceased, we now have the widow of a veteran, and now the widow's gets the benefit. So the spouse of a living veteran really has no benefit. It the, the, vet, the living veteran gets a little extra benefit because he has that dependent spouse, mm -hmm. but it is not a spousal benefit. That's very helpful. So what is the current aid and attendance maximum monthly benefit and what can you use this benefit for? Are you can you put it towards assisted living expenses or it just is it just for your, you know, daily living expenses? What is the benefit and what can you use it for? Well, the maximum award now it'll go up a little bit in the fall because of cola. Uh, but for a married veteran it's 22.95 a month. A check written to the veteran deposited into his account for that amount of money. A single veteran, 
uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's uh, 2431 is the current rate uh, for the married veteran. For the single veteran, 2050. For a surviving widow, 1318. Uh, and it's a pension. It's the veteran's pension benefit. And it's the, it can be used for whatever you want. Once you've met all the qualification and the check arrives, it's your money to spend as you wish. Normally, people would spend it on their care because the need for care and the, and the required money to be spent on care would generally mean that when you got that check, you're going to use it for care. But honestly, you could take it to the Indian casino because it's your pension. <laughs> Is it taxable? No, it is a non-countable, non-taxable benefit. That's awesome. So can you receive, I know that some veterans also receive disability compensation. Can you receive the disability compensation and aid and attendance pension benefit at the same time? You bring up a good point. There's two ways the VA generally can compensate a veteran. One is compensation for service connected. You fell off a truck, you got shot, you hurt your back. Something happened to you while you were in the military that's causing you problems later in your life. That's compensation for service connected. It ranges from a 10% disability to 100, $150 a month, all the way up to 3200 a month. So that's a disability. That's the most common benefit. It's called COP, short for Compensation for Service Connected Disability. Uh, we see a lot of that. You, you certainly can understand compensation. The other benefit, the one that initially we, the VA itself calls the least known, most misunderstood, least utilized, is pension aid and attendance. That benefit are the numbers I just said. You cannot get both. You get one or the other, whichever is greater. So someone might be receiving 50% disability, which is about 1100 a month right now for comp. He gets the $2,000 a month award. He doesn't get both checks. He gets a check for two, and the 1100 goes away. Uh, that's very, very helpful. And one last question for you. Can you receive an attendance in Medicaid at the same time? Is, is that possible? Yes and no. That's a, com that's a confusing answer. But um, <laughs> fundamentally, the rule is that if the veteran or widow is on full-fledged, we'll call it federal disability, you're in a nursing home uh, and, and, and the Medicaid is paying 100% of the bill, uh, they're, they're taking, your, of course, your income, the VA check falls to $90, okay? Because it's like the government says, well, wait a minute, that agency's paying it, why should we write you a check that they're going to take anyway? So you get an extra $90, your, your nursing home is paid for by Medicaid, and you get an extra $90 for your personal allowance, your little spending money, haircuts, and so forth. If you're actually re at an assisted living facility, it's complex, but it's possible to have Medicaid be paying your, your bill for assisted living, not a nursing home, assisted living, and still be able to get a good chunk of that uh aid and attendance for you personally to do things with. But it's a com we're also certified Medicaid planners, so it does need to be dovetail or coordinated. You need to be speaking with someone that knows both, both sides of it. But So yes and no is the answer. Excellent. And David, if folks want to find more information about you and the Senior Veterans Council, how do they do that? Well, um, yeah, the Senior Veterans Council, uh, is here. We're here in Holly Springs. Nine one nine eight two five thirteen hundred, and you'd want to press zero to talk to somebody that would 
give you general information, and then you can schedule a time for a call. There's no cost to, for us to give you some guidance and get you going. The other source, of course, is that number I gave you for the VA, national number 800-827-1000. Uh, the state has county veteran service officers, but that whole system is a little upside down, still recovering from covid but you can go online and find a county veteran service officer through the state. A lot of those offices have been closed, but that's another number that's a good resource. But you, you, you get a basic understanding, file the statement of intent, and then take a Valium and be prepared for <laughs> some confusion. But if you wade through that, we see a lot of benefit awarded, and we don't like it when we run into people that should have got this benefit several years ago, but they didn't know about it, and they... Uh, it's water under the bridge. Excellent. Again, that is David Cole. He is the benefit advisor with the Senior Veterans Council and a privately accredited VA claims agent. Those numbers that he gave out, if you want to reach that national VA uh, number, it is 800-827-1000, 800-827-1000. Or if you want to reach the Senior Veterans Council, that number is 919 825 1300. David, thank you so much for your time today. This was an incredibly helpful and knowledgeable segment. We really appreciate it. You bet. Great chatting with you. Thank you so much. You as well. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. Thank you so much for joining us at a different time on a Sunday afternoon. Usually we do these the show Saturday at 4, but because of football, uh, this week and next week we'll be on at a special time. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We're now going to shift focus a little bit here. And, you know, one of the biggest fears that we often hear about and discuss on the show is the fear of death and being in pain. And well, of, of course, many of us would fear those things, but we're going to have a discussion on total pain and what that is. And to have that discussion, we're pleased to welcome in one of our own, and that is Myla Mason. Myla is an educator and nurse with Transitions Life Care. Myla, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. This is such a great topic, and it's something that we hear, as Jason mentioned. You know, my grandfather went, right before he went on hospice, was talking to our our family, like, I don't want to ever go to the hospital again. I don't want to be a pain. I just want to be comfortable in my home. And and we hear that over and over again, but I don't think we fully understand the concept of pain. And so, Milo, I'm really excited about this conversation today. So maybe we start out with the basics. Can you tell us briefly how you, as a hospice professional, a nurse, an educator, how do you help patients and families deal with their fear of dying painfully? 
Well, I, I first think it's important for people to understand that uh, pain is very subjective to the person. Um, I might feel or perceive um, pain, physical pain, um, very differently than you, Mary, um, even if it's the exact same, um, you know, etiology, the same thing causing pain. Um, so I think it's very important that we keep that in mind, that it's subjective to the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that we need to keep in mind that physical pain is only one element of pain. Um, mm. So in, in talking with our patients and their families, um, we need to kind of um, piece out whether it's physical or one of these other elements that we consider in the total pain concept being social, psychological, um, or spiritual pain. And so I think we can talk about that a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. for the physical pain, we um, ask the patient, you know, what is it that they feel comfortable with? You know, so often we use that zero to 10 scale, Mm -hmm. um, and that may or may not be something Um, that a patient really understands, but um, we try to get them to tell us what their level of comfort is, where they feel like they can enjoy their day, so to speak, you know, go about their life um, and have a quality of life. So we start with that. We start with goals. What are your goals? And, um, And then we work from there to figure out if it's medication or something else that might help them to reach their goals. That's very helpful. If you're already in physical pain while we're, while we're on this topic in physical pain and thinking mm-hmm. about the total pain concept, which you've briefly mentioned, can physical pain manifest into other kinds of pain? And can you dive into a little bit more about what is total pain and do the, all the elements feed into other elements and, and kind of work together to create this total pain concept? Absolutely. Um, So the total pain concept, which was um, coined, if you will, by Dame Cicely Saunders, who is the um, founder of the modern day hospice, um, an amazing woman. Um, And she she actually tells, excuse me, a great story about a patient that she had. And this really does um, paint the picture um, that her patient was having physical pain in her legs. And then when she was talking to Dame Saunders, she said, but now it seems that all of me is wrong. Um, She said, I could have cried for the medications, but I knew that I mustn't. And the world seemed to be against me and nobody understood. And she went on to say, that her husband and son were wonderful, but they were having to stay out of work and they were losing money. Um, and then she said, but it, it feels uh, wonderful to feel safe again. So in that little bit of conversation with Dame Saunders, she came out with physical pain, her back and her legs. She talked about social pain of, of losing money because um, there are social implications of that, right? Mm-hmm. And then she talked about um, 
emotional pain of people not understanding her or feeling shut away like she couldn't ask for the medicine. And then what Dame Saunders perceived as spiritual pain um, when the patient said, it, it's wonderful to feel safe again. And so that safety and security being her um, spiritual side. And, and it really does they all play in together. So if you are in a, a big social struggle, you, you, you are sick and you've lost um, the ability to work and you don't have an income anymore, it can absolutely manifest itself in other ways and make your physical pain worse and vice versa. If your physical pain is just out of control, the rest of you just is probably a mess as well. That couldn't be further from the truth. And so can you talk to us more about the role of the hospice team in addressing the total pain of, of someone? Well, when you think about a nurse and a doctor, you oftentimes think about that we focus on that physical pain and we're, we're trying to give medications, right, to alleviate that physical pain. Um, and that is you know, what we've been trained to do is, is to, to work um, with medications or treatments of other kinds to relieve the suffering of people um, through, those, through those modalities. Mm -hmm. But we're not trained um, in social work or in the spiritual care side of things. And while we, I'm sure, have some element of that because as a nurse, I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty compassionate person and, and what have you, but that's not my forte. So the team that also consists of a social worker, um, a spiritual care person, and even volunteers um, who, and, and CNAs, quite frankly, who all can contribute to the well-being of that patient and their families. Mm. That's very helpful. I, I want to, you just mentioned the family side of it as well. Uh, mm -hmm. how, do, how does a caregiver or family member recognize some of these different kinds of pain? It's easy to be like, ow, I'm in pain, and you recognize that. That's, that's one thing. But how, what signals should you be looking for, you know, not – every patient or your loved one will come out and just say, I'm, I'm worried about my social pain. Um, you know, that what, what can you be looking for as a caregiver to recognize these kinds of pain? Well, I think it's important for all of us to listen to what the patient is saying, because as you said, they're not going to come straight out and say, I'm worried about my social pain, but they might, um, just in conversation, be saying things that could lead us to know that that's what's bothering them. You know, one of the things, so when my dad was um, in his last days, one of the things he said to me was he didn't want to be a burden and he didn't know if he was good enough to go to heaven. And to mm -hmm. me, those are those are two very important statements. Um, you know, the, the, I don't want to be a burden is kind of along the psychological 
or emotional social side of things, you know, and then the, the, I'm not sure if I'm good enough to go to heaven is definitely along the spiritual side of things. So, um, you know, sometimes it's, it, it can be alleviated or, or at least lessened those, that suffering that a person is having if, if they have a conversation with somebody, Mm um, and suffering and pain, aren't the same. So mm-hmm. I think that it's important for us to understand that as well. That's good advice. We're speaking with Myla Mason. Myla is an educator and nurse with Transitions Life Care, and we're discussing the concept of total pain, and we're going to continue our conversation with Myla right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Good afternoon to you. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to head on over to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. So many resources available for you online. Also, information about job openings. If you're interested in pursuing a career opportunity with Transitions Life Care, be sure to go to transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Myla Mason, and Myla is an educator and nurse with Transitions Life Care, and we're discussing the concept of total pain. And Mary, before the break, we were talking about the concepts of pain and suffering. We often hear these two lumped together, so let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, Myla, can you talk to us about the differences between pain and suffering? Like Jason said, always lumped together, but the more you talk about them, the more I think that they are a little bit different. And you are correct. Um, So they are related, but not necessarily the same. So pain typically would be a physical or emotional pain. And there's typically a physiologic basis behind it. You know, you don't have um, abdominal pain necessarily unless there's something going on in your belly that makes you have that physical pain. Um, Suffering, on the other hand, is more about um, the meaning that we place on that physical or emotional pain that we're experiencing. So, for instance, somebody might say to themselves, this physical pain is because I'm not a good person. You know, I've done something wrong in my life, so now I'm being punished. That's when the suffering comes in. Um, And people can really be drowning in that suffering, thinking that, you know, they've done something wrong, and so all of these bad things are happening to them. It's more prevalent, I would say, when you talk, when you think about a a younger person, a person who we would would say, oh, my gosh, they're too young to, to die or to have this, you know, terminal illness. And and sometimes, you know, that's where that 
suffering really um, ramps up, if you will. Interesting. Uh, you know, I never knew those differences. It's very helpful. I think as a caregiver as well, it's very helpful for me to think about. And maybe we can dive in a little bit more there. The hospice team is a great resource. And you've talked about some things we can do for the patient, but they can also be a resource for the other family members and loved ones as well. And coming from the caregiver perspective, I can imagine the sense of helplessness that may you know, and caring for their loved one that may be experiencing pain and they're seeing it or hearing it or, or kind of noticing it, it may compel them to visit less frequently, for example. Are there ways that the hospice team can be a better resource for the family members and caregivers as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think it's important to know um, for the listeners out there that the patient isn't the only person. When we when we um, engage with a terminally ill person, we look at the family unit as the, the patient, if you will. So yes, there is a, a person who is the terminally ill person, but anybody that they consider their family unit is also who we want to care for. So, um, you know, sometimes our team works actually more with the family than with the, the patient um, who's terminally ill. Um, you know, sometimes our, our terminally ill patients might have dementia and not even perceive that we're even there for them, but we are there for their family members as well. And so as a nurse, one of my main roles is to help guide the family and patient through the physical changes that are going to likely happen as they um, decline. And then our social workers and our spiritual care chaplains and um, even our volunteers and our CNAs are there to provide different kinds of support. So um, conversational support, spiritual support, um, helping family members to get um, maybe advanced directives in order because maybe that wasn't done previously and now they're feeling stress over needing that to be done. And so we help them through all of those things and we're there to listen to them um, and, and work through those distressing elements or, or suffering that they might be having. And the, the earlier we can start that relationship, the better. Mm. So if, if we don't get a patient on service until their final days or hours, then we can't really do the best job for that patient and their family. Um, mm. Let's dive in a little. Yeah, let's dive in a little bit deeper there. You know, this is a very holistic approach to care. It sounds like, and the team, the whole team participating in the care for both the patient and the family. So, if you're referring very late in this pain cycle, it sounds like it could be a crisis. Can you talk to us about a little bit more about the importance of an earlier referral to hospice if you're starting to notice these things? Absolutely. Um, you know, the guidelines. Uh, say that a person um, who who a doctor feels reasonably has six months or less to live um, is eligible for hospice. That's kind of the broad picture. And if we can engage in the services with those 
um, folks at that point, then we have, let's say, six months to help that family understand the changes that are going to occur, help them to get their um, affairs or, or paperwork, if you will, in order for, for you know, um, their advanced directives or even help them. You know, oftentimes we're asked about funerals you know, to help them with funeral arrangements or anything else like that. So the sooner we can get in there and start building that relationship with them, um, the better. Because people don't always want to open up to you on day one. Sometimes it takes several meetings Mm -hmm. with a patient or their families before they feel comfortable with the team to start being more open about their feelings. And if we can if we can get in there with them earlier, then then that gives them a chance to work through some some emotional or or even physical things that might be going on with them. Um, and while we can't fix necessarily years worth of family problems, it's it's been a beautiful thing for me to be able to see families come together um, and and even sometimes reconcile at end of life. Um, and that's another beautiful gift if if we're able to start that conversation early. Um, then sometimes people can can reach a point of uh, emotional, spiritual, social, and physical um, comfort before they before they pass away or before their loved one passes away. Those are all really great points. It's something that I'm seeing with my grandfather, who's now on services. You know, I'm a huge advocate for hospice, so it's it's something that um, you know was very important to me. That as soon as we realized he could benefit from some of those services, that we put him on. And now I'm seeing the whole team interact with him. You know, he's really built a bond with his aide and his nurse, and um, he's being able. You know, he's taking. They're taking such good care of him holistically, and um, we're being able to do things like we've. We have a veteran ceremony coming up for him, and um, a team is coming out, and my family is invited, and we're all going to he, – he's going to do the pinning and have a little celebration um, for his service. And I think that those are really special things and benefits of hospice um, and the volunteers that are able to come out and, and spend time with them. And I, his quality of life has gotten so much better since we've been on awesome. hospice. And he really is, because we were able to bring him on so much sooner, really is able to benefit from all these services and I think those were all really good points that you have and and Mary just you know I can't explain the phenomenon behind it but sometimes people actually live longer Mm -hmm. once they go on to hospice services Um, and it's not I would say it's not because we're giving medications that help them to live longer or we're doing anything extraordinary but i think when a person and when their family um, feel like they are in a good place um, a safe place and when they um, sometimes we do actually withdraw medications um, but it, it there's something that somehow works together <laughs> And people have actually lived longer on hospice services than than the doctors would have expected. So there's something to that as well. 
Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Myla, for coming on the show with us and explaining this topic to us. It was a really fascinating discussion with Myla Mason, who's the educator and nurse at Transitions Life Care. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And thank you for having me. Uh, It was our pleasure. Well, we are just about out of time for today. Please don't forget, head on over to Transitions Life Care org to learn more about Transitions Life Care. And if you want to catch up on past episodes of Aging Matters, you can go to WPTF.com and click on the podcast button there. And there you can find the Aging Matters section in all episodes of this show. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.